Hi, I'm Richard, the founder of 10 Adventures, and this is the 10 Adventures podcast. Each week, we talk to real people about real adventures as they explore this incredible planet we all live on. Welcome back to the 10 Adventures podcast. Uh, we're excited today to have Thomas Buisegay back to talk to us about a new long-distance uh, track in France called Hexatrack. Now, we last met Thomas last year when he talked to us about his long-distance uh, hike on the Via Adriatica. And since that time, it sounds like he's been really busy planning and being involved in the creation of Hexatrack. Um, so welcome back, Thomas. Uh, thank you very much for having me again. <laughs> Oh, it's great. We always love to hear all of your stories. So why don't you start by telling us a bit about this long-distance hike, Hexatrek? Hexatrek is this kind of uh, answer we are trying to make uh, from the long-distance trek that exists everywhere else in the world. It all started because of my Via Adriatica. Uh, when I was crossing Croatia on foot, I was thinking, uh, well, how can I not cross France on foot? It's crazy that we don't have it. And actually, at the same time as I was thinking that, another guy named Kevin had the same idea. He finished the PCT and he returned to France thinking, I want to cross my country on foot as well. So he actually decided to draw already on a map the outline of a trek that could be possible in France and started to create everything by himself. Um, so he worked on it and now uh, we joined him for uh, making it a reality. And the idea of the Hexatrek is to have 3,000 kilometers of hike through France and to go from um, around Strasbourg, so by the German border, uh, all the way down in uh, the Vosges, in the Alps, and then crossing in the Vercors and then in the Pyrenees all the way to the Pays Basque and finishing in Hendai. So basically crossing France by the mountains. And we really wanted to have a hike that is doable most of the time camping because it's quite difficult legally in France sometimes to find this um, enough area where camping is legal. Um, but we managed. Uh, we have around 72% of the trail that is doable while camping. So it's really like um, an experience to be in nature and crossing the mountains of France. And France has a ton of nature to offer and a ton of different treks to uh, to enjoy. That was your idea to get things started. Now, but you weren't literally digging in the earth to create a trail. My understanding was you were creating uh, or you were linking pre-established, you know, big trails. Exactly. Um, but basically, uh, it's like the Tour de France. The road already exists. We are just creating the story that makes you want to go all the way. So we have linked together a ton of existing trails and also um, like secondary routes and uh, what's not in order to have a comprehensive and uh, continued trail all along. And the idea behind it was really to have the option to pass through the most beautiful sceneries you can find in the Alps, in the Pyrenees, in the Vercors, in the Jura. And at the same time to really feel that you're on one continuous trail. 
because you can already do it. Technically speaking, nothing stops you. We have in front so many trails that are extremely well maintained, but we don't have one that just links everything together and made sense. So we created sense out of a gigantic map of options. And this is what we are trying to push now. Um, it's just when you do the Hexa Trek, you know you're crossing France and you're doing something that is uh, that has a story behind it. And that was what really interested us. I picked up on what you said about you wanted to have a trail where you could camp for a lot of it. And by camping, like in um, Canada, at least where I live, a lot of the backcountry camping are in established campsites. You know, sometimes you have to reserve them. So is it that kind of camping then along the trail or is it more like free camping? So it is free camping for most of it. Free camping in France is complicated, like everything legal in France. <laughs> we are navigating mostly through laws at this point than just mountains. Um, so we have uh, one word. It is called uh, bivouac. A bivouac in France means that you can stay for the night if you put your tent when the sun goes down and you go before the sun comes up. And it has to be a minimalist tent, and you have to be one hour from a road. All of that is subject to interpretation, because one hour from a road means nothing. If you're limping, uh, one hour can be 500 meters from a road. Nothing said. Um, so we are in this gray area. The thing we can say is that most of the time you will find places where other people have bivouacked before, so you can already see some traces, so you know it's possible in those places. And it's also a good way to not destroy way more nature by putting your tent somewhere else. Bivouac is working in France. People have this culture. We already have like long distance trails, like the GL10, the GL5, and um, others long distance trail in France, but never to the um, to the lengths of the the country. Always smaller distances, but it still already exists, and it is in the law legal to do so, just within limits, and those limits can change all the time. Any commune in France can say, for example, uh, from the 15th of July to the 15th of August, you cannot be working in this area. And this you cannot know before you're there. And then we have a lot of those particularities. And then you have national parks, and then you have regional parks, and then you have different uh, protected areas. You have uh, European protected areas. And all of those have different, different legislations. Um, so we are actually trying to bushwhack around the legislation to understand where we can do what we want with our tent. But for the moment, we have... Um, we have released an app, uh, the Hexatrack app, that is basically a navigation app. And on the app, you can see um, whenever the line is green, whenever the track is shown as green, it means you can put your tent along the way and it is illegal. And when it's red, it means it is illegal. So it's one way we're trying to make it possible for people to understand if it is possible or not to wild camp or to bivouac, because it's, again, very weird in the legislation. I was looking on your um, website for Hexatrek and I noticed you had the app. The other thing I noticed was that you had a GPS file or for the trail that was a free download. I, I believe it's a free download. I thought that was pretty great because that's something that's super helpful. And then I was noticing on the app you know, you show, show more than just where you can camp. I, I believe you're showing water sources and Exactly. Actually, um, what I like to say is that the app is the um, premium version 
of the Hangza track. It means that when you have the app, you are getting rid of a lot of hassles um, from um, knowing where you're going to find food the next day, uh, knowing where you can resource your water, knowing when uh, you will cross a city that have like an option to go with a bus somewhere else. Um, the app is really helping you to not need to be so prepared and at the same time just enjoy the moment. But at the same time, we are a non-profit. The Hexatrack Association is a non-profit. And as a non-profit, it seemed very important for us that anybody can have the track freely and be able to go with whatever app they prefer and just follow it along because it's it has to be available for everybody. Yeah, sounds really good. Um, my guess is that when you're it, when you're doing the trek, you'll be you'll be going through, you know, long stretches where you're kind of remote or in the back country, and then you'd be traversing more urban or urban areas to get to the next section. So I was wondering, like in the remoter areas, how how far away are you from civilization? Is it kind of like you're going from town to town, like to say the Camino in Spain is? No, not at all. Um, the, the Camino is, is really focused around rural areas and um, sleeping in refuges, um, sleeping in, in, um, in those kind of places like Auberge, where you can have um, all the necessities. Um, what we really wanted to emulate is this kind of freedom you feel on a real through hike in nature. So whenever you're remote, we're still remote European-wise. So we don't have the kind of big length of nothing of vast areas of nature you can have in the states or you can have in canada wherever you are remote you are always at one day of civilization if you have any problem at any point you can always find um like the nearest small hiking track that is going back in the valley and in the valley you will always find uh, people you will always find civilization so it's never so deep in the wilderness that you are um, stuck there. Um, you have sections. Uh, you have sections where you have like I think six days, six days without any option for resupply, and then in those six days you have to be uh, careful with your food and everything. But you can plan that in advance, obviously. But this is like the longest stretches you can do. Again, if you look at the map of France, it's very well um, developed. So obviously you will not find those crazy wild areas like you could find, uh, yeah, in Canada especially. And I'm very jealous of your uh, wild areas there. <laughs> yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. Uh, we talked to a couple from, I think, Germany or Austria. I can't remember which one who did the Great Divide Trail in Canada. And, whoa, like their story was nuts because it was really remote. Like they, oh, they were telling me where they were. I couldn't believe it. But you were mentioning the like a stretch of six days before you could resupply. So for resupplies doing this track, are people going to be like mailing themselves boxes of food like say they do on the PCT? Like do you anticipate that? Because I think I read somewhere, maybe you wrote it on your um, social media page, but that these a lot of these towns aren't haven't had long distance hikers like through hikers and so they might not for the first few seasons be supplied for those kind of folk yes it's it's kind of a mixed bag um when you are in the pyrenees or in the alps uh, pyrenees and the alps are very very accustomed to long distance hiker and to hikers in general so you will have absolutely no problem finding all the food you need all the kind of dry food you need and again you're in france you can always buy bread cheese and cured meat. 
in in this is like the the best options for hikers uh you don't need to buy processed dry food you you can have like the real stuff that people actually eat there like the cheese was developed for that it was developed for the people on the mountains so just put it in your backpack and enjoy it when you are at uh, 200 uh, 2000 meters so this is this is what you can expect there um and in the other regions like i'm um, thinking about the vercors i'm thinking about the jura it's again you will always find some kind of local um supermarkets or local um grocery stores that will have everything you need to eat and uh, you will always have a boulangerie or a fromagerie where you can uh, find the delicious uh, food that i was expecting. i'm really going there just for the food to be honest um <laughs> <laughs> eat as much as much cheese as i can yeah my husband always loves a trip to france cuz he like really loves great food so he he would be right in there with you oh yeah it's a gourmet trail i mean if you have the money it's a gourmet trail you're going to eat so much good stuff speaking of having the money when i've hiked in uh, france in the past um frequently there were backcountry huts or i think there's a different name in france for them and they often had like great restaurants and wine and beer so i'm assuming that this hike will have even that in many regions as backup Yeah, we will have a lot of that. We always mention the fact that it's a gourmet trail if you have the money. You you should never forget that it is France, so it is quite an expensive country compared to most other countries. So obviously if you stay in a hut um and you want to have the proper meal and everything, you can go up to 45 euros to 60 euros something like that. So that's quite a lot. But you will have the best products you can find in the region. The people in the huts, they know how to cook. Um the little the, the the little restaurants you can find in the mountains and everywhere are using local products that are fresh directly from the the peasants around. And that's just like the best food you can find. So If you want to treat yourself, you can definitely treat yourself. And you have also those kind of areas. I'm thinking about the Pyrenees because I'm more a Pyrenees kid myself. Uh you have a lot of a uh, thermal waters town where you can go for a spa and stuff like that in like very old school buildings. And when you want to treat yourself, you can definitely treat yourself. You're never far away from being relaxed in France. uh and well fed. So that's also something you have to pick in mind. And if you don't have any money, well, you just pick up your cheese and your bread. It's going to be cheap and you will still enjoy tremendously um your time there. I mean, that's that's what I'm going to do <laughs> basically. You mentioned that you were are a Pyrenees guy and if I remember correctly, didn't you do a long distance hike in the Pyrenees in the last year? Yeah, exactly. I actually went um on the bit of the GR10. So the GR in French means uh grande randonnée, so long distance um hikes. Um and the GR10 crosses all of the Pyrenees. And I did 150 kilometers, which is a small stretch. Um I think the GR10 is actually 900 kilometers. So I did just a little bit around my grandmother's village because uh, my grandparents have been uh, having a cabin in a village for a long time and I love this place and I was like, okay, I need to discover the mountains around and I need to hike there and I need to to see. So yeah, I hiked last summer this uh, this stretch and this is when uh, I decided to join the Hexatrack project because I just loved it. I just loved my time there and I just couldn't believe how beautiful the mountains were, how uh, amazing the food. Again, I'm repeating myself with the food. And and I really needed to to have an excuse to do that for six months really. <laughs> so that's it. 
Well, you know, you said you're repeating the issue about the food being so excellent, but you know, isn't that like a reality of a long distance hiker? Like I, I always see people doing long distance treks and like, oh, we're in town. I get great food. So I don't think you're alone in that. No, no, definitely. It's just that this time the gastronomy in France is um, amazing, especially the cheese, because on one particular mountain, you can have two different types of cheese depending on which side of the mountain you are. So diversity of cheeses itself um, is through the roof and the quality of it is is just breathtaking. Um, I live in Belgium, so I am French, but I live in Belgium and I've been living in Belgium for a long time. And I forget how good it is. I forget how good the cheese is there. It sounds like you have a good uh, six months coming up. Speaking of which, like that is what you're just about to embark on. You're going to be doing the inaugural long distance hike. So tell us about how that's going to look. Yeah, so um, we are doing this year um, as the Exatrek, the what we call the Pioneer Walk, um, because nobody has ever hiked this trail uh, in its entirety. Again, it's a patch of different trails that already exist and a lot of people have been on, but this exact path, nobody has done it before and nobody has done it in one go. So we are not sure about a lot of things about this trek. So what we said to the community of people who are interested is, oh, you can hike it this year, but we cannot promise anything. We don't know if some sections are more difficult than others for sure. We don't know if you will have enough time to do everything. We don't know. But if you want to try, be our guest. And at the same time as the team, we obviously have to hike it. So we will have two people hiking it from the team uh, in this entirety. I will start actually in less than a week now. Um, So it's really, really soon. I'm going to start uh, north and going south. And I'm going to start uh, solo. So I'm going to hike it there. And Kevin, who actually designed the trek and uh, was the first crazy person thinking uh, you can cross the France by uh, by foot, is going to start in June and will start from the south and go up north. So the two of us are going to cover the entire trail. And at the same time, we have William and Dylan, who are the two mothers on the association, um, that will uh, join us in some sections. um, Because at the same time that we're hiking it, we're trying to put some signs up so that people know they are on the Hexatrek, which is a whole different legal issue uh, of putting signs in some places and not others and it's it's a nightmare we we talk to so many different actors to to try to make it work and it's it's not always easy um but we will have to do that as well so we're going to hike um, i'm going to hike solo uh, kevin is going to hike with a lot of people um because it is a crowdfunding campaign and people could pay to join him for a week so every week is going to have six people with him um, that come from various um, backgrounds and is going to hike like Jesus in the mountain <laughs> followed by his, uh, his herd of people. Actually, that sounds kind of fun, eh? <laughs> I noticed on the website that if you're starting in the north, like you are in, is it Wiesenberg? Yes. Yeah, that you can start earlier than if you start in the south. And is that just because of altitude issues? Like it goes higher quicker in the south? It's mostly about the uh, snow that will come in the Alps and the Pyrenees. So on the Hengsatrek, in France in general, you have the two massive mountain ranges or the Alps and the Pyrenees. And the Hengsatrek is very mountainous. So I think that the, the highest point is 3,000 meters along the hike. Obviously, when it is snowing heavily, it takes some time to get cleared. And it will depend on every year. When you start in the north, um, you're hitting the Pyrenees um, 
at the end of the summer and the Pyrenees can get some snow already in October. So you can already have like some passes that are completely uh, blocked uh, in October, depending on the years. So if you want to be on the safe side, you can start in May or June and you should have enough time um, if you hike fast enough, let's say, um, you shouldn't have enough time to complete the hike. But if you start in the other direction, you are attacking by the Pyrenees directly. So you have to wait until the Pyrenees or uh, the snow in the Pyrenees is melted so that you can already start in the Pyrenees. So if you start from the south, it's straight into the Pyrenees, so it's harder. You better have good legs already because the Pyrenees they are not kidding around. Uh, this is very difficult mountains, and I know them, and I love them. Very steep, um, and a lot of ups and down. Um, and yeah, it's it's like the two steepest portion, uh, portions are the Alps and the Pyrenees. And um, I think the elevation gain uh, is almost the same on the two ranges, but I'm not sure on that. Um, I have to check. But we kind of kind of looked in it. It's something along those lines. And then if you start from the north, it's nice because you're mostly flat. Not flat, flat, but mostly flat for the first 500 kilometers. So if you have to make your trail legs, um, it's easier. And also there is something about starting in the north is that you will end up in the sea. And there is something about having this physical barrier that is really showing you you've been at the end of the trail because you physically could not go further. So I, I think in, in terms of um, uh, symbolism, uh, starting from the north makes more sense for more people. Um, most people really think about this as the natural direction, but it's actually the one that that forces you to go fast because if you're not fast enough, you will hit the Pyrenees too late and then you might have to drop out. So it's, it's actually harder, but in the other direction, you can take your time because the last 500 kilometers uh, will not be covered in snow. And even if there is snow, it's no big deal. It's like snow in the, uh, in the forest, so you're fine. So uh, yeah, it seems harder to begin, but easier to finish from the south. And it's the opposite if you start from the north, basically. Yeah, I'm thinking if it were me, I like that idea of the kind of slow, easy start, you know, just to, you know, get yourself trained up a bit. And I, I was I was thinking, well, if I do this, which way would I start? <laughs> it's a, Yeah, it's a very difficult choice. Um, I mean, Kevin wanted to start from the north as well. But then when he realized about the, um, the snow options and everything, he had to change. And I knew it would be harder for me uh, in the end because I'm not a fast hiker at all. But like you, I mean, the first 500 kilometers to do my legs seem to be very important, um, and I prefer that. And then you arrive in the Alps, and the Alps are unforgiven. <laughs> yeah, but like spectacular, though. It is. It is spectacular. I. I mean, I hope because I've never hiked in the Alps. So this is also one of my uh, one of my things here is to discover my country. Because most of those places I've never been. I am a Pyrenean son. And in France, you have this little war between the Pyrenees and the Alps, which uh, mountain range is the best. Um, and we are kind of the outsiders because everybody knows about the Alps and nobody knows about the Pyrenees. So we're kind of like, oh, that's our mountains. We prefer it. Ah, it's more savage. Uh, Pyrenees have bears. The Alps don't have bears. I didn't know that. Yes, we have 60 of them. We know all of them. Uh, <laughs> we have 60 bears um, that nobody ever see. But we have 60 of them. Uh, and we're very proud of this. Um, so, yeah, we, we... I mean, I will discover most of my country that I don't know. 
Um, and I'm very excited actually to do that because um, I'm not a very good French person. Uh, I've been living abroad for a long time. I don't really care about France in general. I'm not very patriotic as a person. But just the, the option, you know, to, to go ahead and discover it. Uh, and on top of that, I will be wearing a beret all the way because um, I want to be a stereotype uh, as much as possible. So, uh, yeah, this is, um, this is a huge opportunity for me to uh, discover something that I don't know. And eat a lot of cheese. So much cheese. <laughs> I'm going to turn into a uh, into a Roquefort, um, and actually, Roquefort is not even made on. on but there is Conte. Conte cheese is my favorite cheese in France, and I will pass um, by the region of Conte in the Jura. So, I am so excited about this portion. Well, this sounds amazing. I noticed on the map that the trail goes like quite close to Chamonix which probably a lot of people are familiar with. And so one of the things I wondered is, I mean, does will Hexatrek include part of the Tour of Mont Blanc? So I don't know because I didn't check that portion too much. Um, I'm trying to, to go there without checking too much of the trail itself. This is more Kevin, because I want to have the experience of somebody who doesn't know much. And that way we will know if some sections need to be more correctly informed or whatever. So I'm not sure about the Tour de Mont Blanc. And again, it's the Alps. And uh, I am a proud Pyrenean boy pretending not to know anything about the Alps. Uh, <laughs> 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 this is out of principle. I will not know nothing about the Alps. But I'm going to love them when I'm there, obviously. Um, but for the moment, I'm preserving myself. How hard do you think it will be? relative to other long distance hikes. So I've never done like the Appalachian Trail or the Pacific Crest Trail. I've done part of the John Muir Trail. And one of the things um, like to me that feels a bit intimidating is, you know, the long times where you have to go between resupplies and kind of the remoteness and you're mailing yourself food and everything. I think there's a 10-day stretch on the John Muir Trail, depending on where you get on and off. In that regard, how do you think Hexatrek will be? Will it be as difficult as those? Or do you think, because you mentioned that you're just like a day away from a town anytime you want it. So, so you will not need any resupply boxes. Um, you will find all the food you need on the, on the trek. Unless you have like a special kind of diet, if you're a vegan or something like that, it will be maybe more difficult, but you will find a post office where you can mail yourself um, some food in advance. But in theory, you don't need to. So this is something also that logistically speaking, you don't have to really think about. So that's already something that is out of the equation. Um, I think that it's hard to measure the difficulty of the Hexatrack, to be honest. Nobody has done it, so uh, we don't know if it's that hard. From my experience in the Pyrenees, I can say that uh, the Pyrenees are very steep. Um, and you, you can have like a thousand gain elevation per day, thousand up and down per day uh, for long stretches. Um, and that really, really uh, like uh, takes a toll on your legs. But then you have those very nice sections in between the mountain ranges. Uh, you have all the Vosges and you have all the Vercors and you have all those places that will have a slower pace. A slower pace um, that will allow you to rest a little bit and then so I think it's more like this contrast of those very heavy sections and those calmer sections that that will have to be managed um, that will have to be managed to in, in order to um, to be able to be flexible and to adapt because it's not going to be the same thing all over the track so you will have to um, to keep in mind that at some point it's going to be way harder and at some point it's going to be way 
duller in a way because you're not going to climb mountains, but it will be also a moment for you to just chill or to gain some big miles if you if you really want to. So I think the, the most difficult part will be this this kind of different rhythm um, to the track. And in the in the mountain section, it's going to be very mountainous, uh, very very high, very very steep. Um, so those sections are going to be quite uh, quite difficult. But yeah, again, we'll see when uh, when we have people uh, hiking it. That's right. You know, from what you said, I, I, it strikes me as a little bit less intimidating, you know, knowing that, uh, which is a, a favorable thing in my opinion, you know, like for a, a first long distance trek, because you're, you know, if something goes wrong, you're a day away and you're not having to do all the organization of mailing yourself food and everything. So it sounds a little less intimidating. I understand the difficulty in the Pyrenees. Uh, I, I understand that, but um, it does sound a little bit less uh, intimidating from an organizational approach. Yeah. Yeah, but that's also something we want. We don't want um, the trail to be uh, daunting. For this first year, we really, really insisted on asking people who want to start, please be a mountain person already. Please have some hiking experience. Please be seasoned because we don't know exactly what to expect. We don't know everything, so we cannot guarantee anything. But in the coming years, when we have enough data to know difficulties, when to know which part to take or not to take, um, and for the seasonality and everything, um, then we want to make it as easy as possible for people to just pick it up and go. Um, that's why I'm doing it like this. I mean, I'm trying as much as possible not to know too much about the trail. I want to keep a fresh eye and because I'm going to do a documentary as well. So I want to, to have this fresh eye of just discovering things uh, like somebody who would just arrive on the trail. And we want to have those people in the end, people who just pick it up, pick, uh, pick the application if they want some kind of peace of mind and just start walking. Tell us about the documentary that you're making, because you mentioned that before we got started. I'm going to hike uh, solo, but I'm going to hike with this uh, big camera. And uh, to be fair, I'm extremely stressed about it because it's a lot of work. Um, <laughs> and I'm going to try to make the first um, documentary of a solo crossing of uh, the Hexa track. Um, doing this for the association, actually, so that uh, that will be an official film. And my goal is to try to interview people in English, if it's possible, because the, the documentary will be in English. Um, to interview people along the way, like the people who work in the fields, the people who live alongside the Hexatrek, and uh, the kind of people that the next Hexatrekker will possibly meet or will possibly see, so that they have already an idea in advance what to expect, what kind of people to expect, and hopefully people speaking in English, because I want to destroy this stereotype that um, in France, if you don't speak French, you're uh, doomed. Um, you can definitely come without speaking French and you can survive and you can go along and you will find young people speaking English. It exists. Well, just so you know, I, I concur with that. I've never had a problem uh, in France. So, but I mean, it's, it's something that we actually heard. Um, some people say, yeah, I'm interested, but I am a bit stressed that French people would not welcome me because I don't speak French. And I want to, 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 to nick this idea in the butt. I don't want people to think that. It's not true. It will be fine. So my documentary um, there is um, this idea. So this uh, should be out every week on YouTube, I hope, um, because I'm going to send all the footage to a, a friend who will do the editing and publish it. So that way we can follow along the first Hexatrek solo crossing. I mean, first 
a lot of other people are going to do it at the same time. Somebody is actually hiking it right now. It started a few days ago. Um, so, yeah, we have plenty of people. And at the same time, uh, Kevin is going to do a documentary about his hiking as well. Uh, Dylan is about to film it. Dylan is the third guy uh, in the association, and he's a filmmaker. So he's going to film it, but it will be a long um, a long documentary, so more than an hour. And this will take some time, so it will not be out now. It will take, I don't know, like a lot of time to edit and everything. And it will be a lot of interviews of the people hiking alongside Kevin. So um, that will be a completely different experience. And this is what we like. With those two, you can have like this idea of those long-distance um, group hike or long-distance solo hike and something more into the um, um, what goes in the mind of the people hiking it. And the other one would be more like what's in the mind of the people seeing the hikers uh, and welcoming the hikers. So we're trying with those documentaries to encompass everything Hexatrack for the first uh, trial. And, and yeah, I'm carrying now uh, way too much weight for that. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw your uh, camera and mic and everything that you'll be carrying uh, before we started recording. And I remarked, oh, I guess you're not going to be ultralight. But you said you are trying to be ultralight except for the camera. Yeah, I'm trying my best. I mean, it's always the same when you go long distance. Um, the more weight you have on your shoulders and the harder it will get and the least pleasant. When I was on the Via Adriatica, I saw people doing the Via Adriatica with 25 kilograms on their back. Yeah, I'm talking about a woman who was weighing herself 50 kilos and she was carrying 25 kilos. And I was like, Jesus Christ. I mean, if she can do that, of course I could. But you sacrifice comfort and you sacrifice enjoying the moment. And, and I really believe that the least, um, the least heavy your pack is and the best is the hike um, because you can actually enjoy and not just cry every day because your shoulders are dying, um, <laughs> which, which will eventually happen. Uh, I know because, um, because I'm a lightweight. <laughs> but you mentioned there was one thing that like there was a few things you were actually going a tiny bit heavier with this trek versus via adriatica how are you doing it differently i'm basically going with almost the same equipment um it's just that i have this bad habit of being um, a gear junkie i love hiking equipment i love gear i love finding the best of the best the la creme de la creme of the equipment and i invest way too much money into it if i can save like a few grams and at the same time have something more sturdy um and it's the little things that are going to be a little bit heavier like uh, my flip-flops for camp shoes are now a little bit better but a little bit heavier uh, my rain jackets a little bit heavier and now power banks i have more power banks because well more equipment to uh, power on um, my my phone is a little bit uh, heavier, but more better quality. I mean, it's you know it's a little bit of incrementation in comfort, and I didn't realize how much it will it will actually weigh in the end. And to be fair, I haven't made my entire pack yet, so it's a lot of wishful thinking now that everything is going to fit into it <laughs> because it's a very small pack, um, and it's still the same pack that I had on the uh, Via Adriatica. It's the same brand. Um, it's a Ukrainian brand that I, I that I adore, uh, lightweight equipment. Um, and this time, I just changed the material, and I hope, I hope everything will uh, will work into it. <laughs> I'm not sure yet. Oh well, it sounds like an amazing time, and you're leaving like tomorrow, isn't it? Or 
Yeah, yeah, almost, yeah. And um, the very funny part is that this Hexatrack project has been made between the, um, the four of us, um, so uh, William, Kevin, and Dylan, and myself, um, and we never met each other. We never met each other. We've been talking to each other constantly for, I don't know, it's been 10 months now that I'm on the project. Um, we've been having like weekly meetings. We've been talking about literally everything. We've been, we've been in constant touch and we never met each other. I just met one of them. It's Kevin. And the way I met him, um, I came to Chamonix. Um, I was doing my Tour de France on my motorcycle. And I came to Chamonix late at night um, just to meet with him. Uh, we had a bottle of whiskey. We talked about Hexatrack the entire night, drinking whiskey and watching the Mont Blanc. And I just woke up and went because I had to go somewhere else. So I didn't see anything of Chamonix. This is the only time I've been in the Alps. So I've seen literally nothing of it. I spent the entire night drinking with the guy and talking about how crazy the Hexatrack can be. And, and I went. So... Yeah, I'm super excited to meet the team. <laughs> so you're meeting them first before you get started? Yes, we're going to actually be for four days, the four of us, in a, in a mountain hut on the trail. And for four days, we're actually going to work. We're going to uh, do some pictures and stuff like that. Um, all together, we're going to go at the start of the trek in Wiesenburg to try to place a little something significant to show that this is the beginning of the trek. So probably we're going to have a sign that we can put up. We're probably going to put uh, a metallic um, cage, um, like a metallic box, and inside a journal and, um, and a pen so that people who start or finish there can actually write a little note. We want to do something a little bit cool, you know. And yeah, we're just going to hang out um, for a bit of time, discovering each other and just rejoicing that this crazy idea we've been working on for so long is actually happening. And this is something that I can't wrap my head around because it's been so um, theoretical so far that I can't even imagine that anybody would be crazy enough to follow our track. It's, I mean, it's just a line on a map and, and, and a beautiful logo. And, and, and we worked so hard on it, but it's still, it's in our mind mostly. And now to see people who trust us enough to go there, that that is a wild ride that is a wild ride and i can't believe it's it's happening and i, I can't believe i'm literally going to hike it um I'm, i still can't believe that i'm i'm in complete denial I'm, i think it's going to hit me when i see the guys and that that they're real first of all they they're real human um this, i'm not sure of that still maybe one of them is an ai and a very advanced bot i don't know uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah they're going to shave my head it's going to be fun as well literally yeah i'm shaving my head um <laughs> makes for easier upkeep exactly because i, I was like yeah maybe i should go to the hairdresser and everything and at the end i'm like you know what? let's do something stupid let's do something stupid um i know kevin is going to shave uh, his beard at the beginning and we'll not touch it the entire hike um i i care more about my beard on my hair so my beard is saying but i'm shaving my head and we will all have matching berets. And I'm very proud of that because um, the beret is really something stereotypical for French people. But this time, it's even more than that. Um, we really try to put in front like the work of people in France. And berets in France are rare. Actually, only two places in France still make berets. And one of those two places still make it handmade. And I went to see this person and I went to visit the factory. Not even the factory, it's like a shop. And she makes all the berry by hand. And this is our only partnership so far 
We're looking for partnerships, by the way. But <laughs> our only partnership is this beret woman who gave us three beret for the hike. And so we're insanely proud of our beret. And I'm going to hike all of it looking like the most classical French person in the world. And I just love it. So I'm going to be bold with my beret on for the first few weeks. <laughs> Well, I look forward to seeing that on your videos. You said you were going to be interviewing local people. You'll have to make sure you get in the uh, film as well so everyone can see you with your beret. Exactly. I mean, it's, uh, and it's going to be the official headgear to hug the Hexa Trek. If you want to hug the Hexa Trek, you can go by beret at this woman, and this would make you an official Hexa Trekker. And we're going to send you a patch, and you can like sew the patch on your beret, and so that way you know who you are. <laughs> That's right. That's good. Well, it's been so great having you on the podcast. So fun to learn about this track. And actually, I'm really looking forward to following your journey and seeing what you're seeing. You mentioned that you're going to have the YouTube videos released maybe every week or two, that type of thing, once you get going. Um, and that is under your personal name of Kartapui, which will link that in the show notes. And you also have an Instagram account that's at Kartapui. And Hexatrack has an Instagram account and a Facebook account. And you have personal podcasts, which I think I listened to it all when you were doing the Via Adriatica, called In a Tent with a Frenchman which I loved, which was really great. So, and you told me you're going to keep on podcasting as well. Yeah, yeah. And the podcast, I mean, the um, the uh, YouTube uh, videos are more um, like the official uh, videos. The podcast is really a personal one. And usually the podcast is where all the uh, nitty gritty things happen. It's, it's where when, when I have difficulties, I can really talk about it. And it's more personal. It's, it, it dives more into uh, how I feel um, than, um, than the actual documentary. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a different mood, I think, in the podcast. Um, and, and, I like, and I like it because every night I can unwind in my tent talking about my day like i would talk to a dear friend like oh my god today has been amazing for this or it has been horrible for this there is no filter in the podcast it's, it's really just a way for me to unwind and um, and i'm i'm always grateful when i hear people or uh, or uh, happy to uh, hear about my rants <laughs> well you i think you're uh, quite a humorous fellow so uh, i think you tell a good story so that's what i enjoyed about it as well so i'm going to be following you along on instagram and listening to your podcast and watching your videos and i'm sure many others will as well Good luck with your track. I, you must be so excited. Yeah, I am. And thank you very much for having me again. It's always a pleasure to come here and, and talk about all those silly things I do in the mountains. Well, silly or wonderful, you know, it all depends on perspective. Okie doke. Cheerio. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the 10 Adventures podcast. If you liked it, why not give us a review? Better yet, subscribe and get inspired again and again. Also, if you want to find your own adventures, why not check out 10adventures.com where you can use our free resources to plan your own trip or book a tour in over 60 countries and make your own epic memories on your next adventure.